I'm here at my London abode in one of the mansions in Kensington, and who do I meet? Only Dr. Haseem Malhotra again. Good to see you, my friend. Always great. Great stuff. The last and time we met was uh, Santa Cruz CrossFit. Yeah, actually, that's yeah. It was all the way over Just in the West. the whole coronavirus hit. It was Just in, before. Uh, January. Yeah. yeah. And now look at us. We're all going around in masks <laughs> and whatnot. Um, so your new book, which I got from you, thank you, the other day, The 21 Day Immunity Plan, and I read it all in one sitting. I do read fast. But the beauty is it's not too complex. It's very approachable for the layperson, and it doesn't go through loads of references and science. It just gives you what you need to improve your immune system functionality. It's not like boost your immune system, right? It's all just basic science as to how you would get far less severe outcome from any infection yeah. because you'd be more physiologically healthy. So I don't know, where do you want to start with yeah, this? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, I, Ivor, I had to, um, this was written at quite short notice. And the way it came about, because a lot of people think what triggered the, the you know, you writing this book is, um, you know, like you, we had been discussing the, when the whole pandemic had started off in China, it was quite clear, both looking at data in China and in Italy, that people who were adversely affected from coronavirus, people that you know unfortunately succumbed for it, uh, from it, were um, people with chronic conditions. Certainly, there is a significant ri biggest risk factor is your age, but almost nine, you know, ninety nine percent of those people that died who were even elderly had some underlying chronic condition. And when you look at that, um, most of those were related to poor metabolic health, underlying metabolic health, and it's very clear in the literature. Um, something I know, I've known as a doctor, as an you know practicing doctor in the NHS for almost two decades, that people who have poor underlying metabolic health, which we'll define in a second, um, are also vulnerable to infections out with before even coronavirus is around, you know? So chest infections, pneumonia, causes a huge stress on the healthcare system. And it's like we've not really, we kind of knew it as a medical profession, but no one's really joined the dots and thought, actually, you know, we've been focusing for years on this diet-related disease epidemic that's putting stress on many Western healthcare systems. But one thing that people suddenly have realized is, oh, actually, if we get people's metabolic health right, which would be great to prevent you know, people getting type 2 diabetes and heart attacks and strokes and all the other comorbidities, Alzheimer's, dementia, it would actually very likely reduce the risk of people being admitted with severe infections as well. Um, but it was quite clear, the data seemed very clear with, with coronavirus. So then what happened was, you know, I'd been publicly, I'd been on Sky News, I'd written an article in European Scientists about it in the Sunday Express. And then I wrote an article in the Telegraph and it was asked to go on Good Morning Britain. And at that point, up to that point, I'd written a couple of times that, saying that our Prime Minister Boris Johnson most likely mm. became sick from coronavirus because of his weight, or certainly that was a very big risk factor. Um, and then that became widely publicized. And my publisher, in fact, I was in the middle of writing another book, which um, was supposed to come out anyway next year on, on statins. So I won't give too much, you know, cholesterol and statins, I won't get too much away yet on that. Um, and I was halfway through that and, and she, she rung me, uh, Rowena, and said, Asim, you know, stop what you're doing. Could you write a book? You've been very outspoken about this. You seem to have a lot of knowledge about it. Do you think you could write a book um, and get it turned over by, um, you know, beginning of July, um, you know, this is, and she spoke to me at the beginning of, um, you know, June, basically, uh, and said, uh, you know, or end, in middle of May, can you get this book done in six weeks? And we'll do all the, you know, we'll get all the editing and everything in and, um, you know, to, to give people a, an opportunity of, of, of improving their metabolic health and explaining them the science. And I thought, this is a challenge, but, you know, absolutely, you know, there's no time like now to do it and let's get on with it. So, yeah, it was a lot of early, early sort of waking up at 4.30 in the morning and, and getting through 
writing and, and obviously doing a lot of my own research as well, new research looking at um, immune function and how it links to all the different lifestyle um, choices, if you like, mm. that many of us make, whether it's about what we eat, um, how much exercise we do, our stress, our sleep, all of it, all linked to metabolic syndrome and poor metabolic health, clearly correlated with poor outcomes from COVID. So we know either that you can reverse many of these risk factors very quickly. And you know, this book is a 21 day immunity plan. And it's not a gimmick, it's to change the narrative that we've been trying to do anyway, that dietary changes rapidly improve health markers, just in the same way when you stop smoking, your risk reduces very quickly uh, of a heart attack, for example. Um, and uh, to actually give people some hope, but also, you know, it doesn't just stop at 21 days. This is the beginning of your journey. And, you know, I've also written what do people do beyond 21 days, um, uh, as well as, um, you know, what government should be doing. So I think there's a science about what individuals can do. And then there's also the acknowledgement, which again, COVID has highlighted is that, you know, I, and I'm, I'm quite philosophical in my outlook of life as well, um, is that we're all interconnected. I mean, this comes from Buddhism in a way. Yeah that actually everything that we do is, almost, is always usually connected to somebody else, whether it's the food that we eat and who's made that, whether it's use of public transport, um, you know, it, we're all interconnected and therefore with such viruses like coronavirus, you know, it has clearly, you know, it's changed the way we live, the way we think with everything that's happened. And of course, you know, you've argued very uh, eloquently about whether you know lockdown or should have happened or not and i think there's very strong argument uh, for what you say on that but irrespective a lot of people have suffered a lot of people have died and it basically brought the world to a standstill and it's likely we may have viruses like this in the future why not make the the population more resilient and that's where government needs to come in to basically sort the root cause out which is an ultra processed food environment which we've been banging on about for a long time that we the first thing we can do you know there are obviously people argue that obesity and all these conditions are complex they're not really that complex they're relatively simple they're they're multifactorial but within those risk factors there is the um the low-hanging fruit the biggest most important one the elephant in the room is we need to fix our food you fix food you fix healthcare, and very likely you will make your body more resilient to infection yeah, no, great summary there. Yeah, big summary. Uh, but yeah, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, leptin resistance. And I was delighted to see as well, you called out leptin. Uh, one of the first people I interviewed actually when I got involved in this corona thing back in April was Dr. Ron Rosedale. And he was trapped in India. And of course, he discovered the importance of insulin and leptin in, in health 25 years ago. He's kind of a bit of a genius. Uh, so we had a great interview, but that was exactly the point. He said, not only in a couple of weeks can you drastically reduce your impacts from a corona infection and the cytokine storm, which leptin is a big part of, uh, but within days you can be markedly reducing your outcome if you get an infection next week. Yeah. So within days your insulin can be dropping, your leptin can be dropping, you know, your blood glucose can be dropping, your immune system is going to become more functional within days, not completely fixed, but within days, better, yes. and within weeks, way better. I have a great point, and I think uh, one very strong, compelling piece of evidence to support exactly what you're saying is if you look at the data on poor outcomes from type 2 diabetes. So in general, 
certainly in Britain, if you've got type 2 and you get coronavirus, your risk of death is double, okay? But if you've got, if you're type 2 diabetic and you're in that category and you have poor glucose control, compared to someone who's got better glucose control, the risk of death is tenfold higher, tenfold higher. Yeah. And that comes from data that, you know, that was published um, uh, looking at people, you know, people who admitted with type 2 diabetes or coronavirus in China. And exactly what you said is that if type 2 diabetics reduce the starch and the sugar, their glucose control can improve within days. We know that happens. So yeah. I think that's a very strong, compelling argument that you can reduce your risk, certainly very quickly. Now, of course, we haven't got the trial data to prove it definitively, but it's so strongly correlated. I think it's more on the naysayers and the detractors to disprove, to be honest, mm. that this isn't going to help your immune system. But even out with that, we're thinking about the whole issue about our healthcare systems being under pressure and stress. And in the UK, the reason we actually went into so-called lockdown, the primary reason, if you remember, Ivor, mm. was to protect the NHS from being overwhelmed. That yeah. was the reason. And the reason that they had to do that is because we were already overstretched. We were worried about the next flu crisis coming in December. Is the NHS going to be able to cope? And then this coronavirus comes in. And we, sh we shouldn't be in that system where there's no, lack, uh, there's no slack. Uh, we shouldn't be in that situation where there's no slack in the system. And that is also about how we move forward, how we actually are able to provide quality care to our patients. Now, listen, I have suffered personally having seen my own mother 18 months ago die prematurely from an infection that infected her spine that caused a severe pain that resulted in her having very high doses of morphine. Uh, it was a very horrible way for her to go. It was really difficult for us as a family, for her friends to witness it. And I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And her situation, her health, was rooted in the types of food she was eating. She had problems with excess weight. And then she became frail from arthritis um, and joint problems because of her excess weight. And by the time she died, her BMI was actually normal. But everything was rooted in, in uh, the types of food she was eating that made her frail to infection. And, you know, we've got to think also about the elderly, you know. Um, the over 65s in particular have a much higher risk of dying from coronavirus. But it seems, again, to do with the fact that actually, certainly in this country, the general health of our elderly is very, very poor. And it doesn't need to be that way. We want people to age healthily, not unhealthy, which is, you know, the problem we've got is not the aging population. It's the unhealthy aging population. And that's yeah. something we also can do something about. Exactly. And that's so important because some countries like Japan with very low mortality, people say, but they've got a lot of diabetes and obesity too. And I say, yeah, they do in the younger people, but the aged in Japan, the aged are the people who overwhelmingly are dying and being impacted. And in Japan, the aged are extremely healthy. Yes. I mean, there was one study of active aged women in, um, in Japan, 95% were above 30 nanogram per mil of uh, vitamin D, which is an excellent sign of metabolic health. And in Italy, where we had the massive hit, like it was practically the opposite, 84%, I think, from one study in aged showed they were below 12. Yeah. So these extreme differences in metabolic health in the aged community, that's what gets hit by influenzas and by coronaviruses. Absolutely. And that, you're absolutely yeah. right. And in fact, you know, I mentioned that in the book and I talk separately. Mm, there is a chapter course. about aging and immunity because I think a lot of people say, well, hold on a minute, aging is the biggest risk factor. Yes, it is. And that's partly because with age, our immune system becomes less mm. robust. But you can still do something to mitigate that risk. 
even mm. even now and people can change their lifestyle and we have to really think about that on a collective population level it's great i'm happy the book's doing well it's a bestseller fantastic but for me the real purpose and you know i've been in direct um communication with the Secretary for Health and Social Care, Matt Hancock, mm. who contacted me after I'd highlighted that Boris Johnson had gotten well with COVID to ask me to advise him on the links between obesity and COVID. And I said to Matt, and I think this is another important point, mm. is it goes beyond obesity. This is about metabolic health, that even up to 40% of people, certainly from South Asian backgrounds, will have poor metabolic health, will have normal BMI, normal weight. Mm. So again, let's keep talking about there's no such thing as a healthy weight, only a healthy person best you know determined by your metabolic health which means we're all vulnerable this isn't just about people being obese and i think the other thing about the trial data and the studies that we have that show you can reverse metabolic syndrome in up to 50 percent of people within 21 to 28 days it actually shows that this can happen independent of weight loss so this isn't just about reducing weight you know it's about improving your body composition but those metabolic health markers can change even if you don't lose weight and i think that's a really important message people should you know, especially because a lot of people who are really vulnerable to this are people with a normal BMI metabolic syndrome who over a 10 year period have a threefold increased risk of heart attack, stroke or death in general. So a very high risk. And a lot of those people are from South Asian backgrounds. So the question there is, are you going to tell somebody who literally, you know, is otherwise relatively slim, but has the fat in the wrong place that they need to lose more weight? Or are you going to improve their metabolic health? And I say, just let's improve their metabolic health and um, you know, get their muscle mass better, reduce the body fat percentage. Their BMI may not change, but their metabolic health will. Yeah, no, absolutely, a crucial point. We have our tofies, especially in Asian uh, kind of uh, groups where it's thin outside. Apparently the BMI is only 24 or 25 and it's fine, but the little belly is there and the visceral fat inside. And likewise, you can have the big obese person who's metabolically healthy, ironically, with loads of subcutaneous adipose tissue but actually without visceral fat. Yeah. I think the lucky get, guys. We need to stop talking about obesity. Yeah, BMI is out the window. You know, so this I've, is, again, mm, yeah, I'm hoping mm. to shift the paradigm. You know, I've given the markers, you know, you look at your blood glucose, mm. your blood pressure, your triglycerides, your HDL waist circumference, use those markers. Everybody can get them measured. They're simple tests to be done. You know, they're probably also going to identify all these high-risk people, as you know, either for heart disease and heart oh, attacks. same thing. And then, you know, GPs, primary care physicians should hopefully be using that as a guide to help them um, identify these patients and then prescribe them a lot, you know, a lifestyle prescription. Because mm. what I also highlight in the book, in the very early, in one of the early chapters, is the limitations of modern medicine. You know, mm. most of the increase in life expectancy that's happened in the last 150 years has happened because of wider public health determinants, not what mm. happens in the hospital grounds. Modern medicine maybe has added 3.5 to 5 years to a 40-year increase in life expectancy in the last 150 years, my friend. Most people don't know that. They will be shocked yeah. when they read that. And a lot of the people who are in control of the narrative, of course, attribute a lot of these benefits to the endless stream of drugs. But the reality is that's a very small part. As you say, it was hygiene, nutrition, and a whole host of environmental factors changed Absolutely. the world. in cars, safe drinking water, uh, the whole know, lot. all that kind of stuff. And Better it, housing. It, infant mortality stuff and recognition of yeah. vitamin and mineral deficiencies that 40, 50 years ago were addressed. That's all forgotten now. People think the magic pills and the little bottle do it. Yeah, they do a certain amount, but don't depend on it. Absolutely. So, and of course, uh, you know, we, we, people are talking about a vaccine. We don't know whether it's going to be effective. We know that if you're obese, you're less likely to be, you know, uh, the vaccine's less likely to work. 
We know the vaccines are not as effective in the elderly. And it's still going to be 18 months probably before we get an effective one. Mm -hmm. So I would argue now, uh, you know, uh, um, the, the best vaccine we have, if people are worried about a second wave of coronavirus, the best vaccine we have to protect our NHS in general from all the you know conditions we've got and against infection is improve your metabolic health. And there's no time to start than now. Yeah, absolutely. Just like in heart disease or heart attacks, you can beat a statin all to hell by just taking some basic, basic steps, yeah. dropping your insulin and glucose. And we know from the science, we have published the statin benefit. It's not zero. There's a benefit in reducing events, especially in people with lots of disease. But we know from the rest of the science that you'll beat the hell out of that with just taking some of the steps to improve your metabolic health. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in a head-to-head, -head, it's, it's not even in the race. So listen, that's fantastic. Any last words? It is a bestseller. It's just come out. It's on uh, Amazon, I guess, yes. like everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 Any other sources or websites or no, really Amazon? Stones Stone's uh, uh, mm. selling it. Um, but yeah, those are the ones I'm aware of. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, yeah, Great. hopefully in bookstores as well, if people go in, but a lot of people buy stuff online now. Um, mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, read it, make your own decision, you know, uh, when you read it. It's not a long read, it's probably only about two hours, which is great. A lot of people like the fact yeah. that they can, you know, read it. A lot of people have read it, you know, very quickly and, um, and found the, and you can read it again and again and pick out, you know, some very good data and points on it. And then the plan, you know, incorporates everything from diet to exercise to fasting to what you do in the long term, you know, and, uh, and what you can measure and, and keep track of your progress. And then the very final chapter is actually what we can all do as advocates to mm. help other people and push this message out to really shift this conversation over so that we are putting lifestyle medicine at the forefront of managing these chronic conditions so we need to need to reinforce that as well yeah. and that is the beauty of this particular you seem because again democratizing the science without getting too complex and nerdy is what we need to do and the beauty of this is you can give it to your mother your aunt your uncle your brother who's an accountant who doesn't really like sciencey stuff, yeah. you know, it, it's readable to the masses, yes. which is really important because a lot of the low carb world that we're in and all, it can get very nerdy and very into scientific analysis. Uh, but we need the masses to get this. That's the key. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Great stuff Thanks a lot of seeing you. Thank you. Great. Bye now. Thanks for listening, guys, and hopefully you enjoyed it. And just a reminder that I do need support to continue putting together all of this content and at patreon.com forward slash Ivor Cummins or for PayPal at tinyurl.com forward slash Ivor Cummins where you can do a one-off or a monthly support. So I'd really appreciate that, guys, and keep me getting the science out there and countering perhaps the more biased corporate type science. Thank you.